0: Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Sweden and Finland have both formally requested to become members of the NATO Alliance. To admit new members to NATO requires the approval of all existing NATO members, and so far, Turkey is objecting. My guest today, Sibel Oktay, is associate professor at the University of Illinois Springfield and non-resident senior fellow at the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. We kick off with a discussion about Turkey's specific grievances with Sweden and to a lesser extent Finland, and then have a broader conversation about how this dust-up between Turkey and the rest of NATO fits into broader patterns in Turkish foreign policy. This includes an extended discussion of the unique role that Turkey is playing on the one hand providing Ukraine with meaningful military assistance since the Russian invasion, and on the other hand not joining along with many Western sanctions on Russia. Sibel Oktay describes Turkey's policy towards the Russian invasion of Ukraine as a delicate balancing act for reasons she explains. This episode was recorded just a few days before a major NATO summit in Madrid on June 27th, and I think this episode does a good job of giving you the background you need to understand both Turkey's approach to NATO enlargement and its foreign policy more generally big thank you to Sibel Oktai for coming back on the show. We last spoke a few months ago in the midst of this staggering meltdown in Turkey's economy, which as she describes in this episode is still ongoing. And please do reach out to me using the contact button on globaldispatches.org, or you can hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg. I look forward to hearing from you. I look forward to your suggestions of topics I should cover as well. I produce this podcast for you, dear listener, so please reach out to me with whatever is on your mind. Thanks. All right, now here is my conversation with Sibel Oktay. Associate Professor at the University of Illinois at Springfield and Non-Resident Senior Fellow at the Chicago Council on Global Affairs.
1: So uh, Sweden actually is the real target of Turkey's concerns. Sweden has for a long time provided refuge to political asylum seekers from Turkey, uh, most notably Kurdish activists and those who Turkey considers members or supporters of the PKK, the Kurdistan Workers' Party. Um, It's a terrorist organization as listed by the U.S. and the EU. Uh, And and, and Turkey waged war against the PKK for the better part of 40 years. So in other words, Turkey argues that Sweden aids and abets the PKK. Um, And uh, in addition to that, Sweden put a ban on arms export licenses to Turkey after 2019, when the Turkish military launched its offensive in northern Syria Against the YPG. YPG is the People's Protection Units. Turkey considers a PKK offshoot um, and an instrumental military organization that fought um, against ISIS um, during the early, um, early period of the Syrian war. And one that's
0: supported by the United States as well. Exactly,
1: exactly. And and so um, Sweden put a ban on these arms export licenses to prevent Turkey from using their material, the material that they sourced uh, to stop Kurdish expansion and territorial consolidation along that northern strip uh, of of Syria that borders Turkey. (laughs) And so now Turkey and and Erdogan and his uh, spokesperson and chief advisor in foreign affairs, Ibrahim Khan. They both argue that it's against the spirit of the alliance if a prospective member, say Sweden, opposes and undermines the legitimate national security concerns of another ally, in this case Turkey. So that's Sweden, Um, but then there's also Finland, and and Finland has kind of become the collateral damage in this narrative, because uh, because in fact, reports from Finnish sources explain that the prime minister, Solini Nisto, received full support from Recep Tayyip Erdogan, Turkey's president, previously uh, back in early spring, uh, before he reversed his position, did a 180 and, and put Finland alongside Sweden in that same basket of his veto. Um, so, with Finland, um, Turkey's key demand is the extradition of Gulanis. So, Gulen, Fetullah Gulen, this imam who um, who has been living in Pennsylvania, in the United States, for the last couple of decades, um, he and his religious movement had uh, was a strong ally of the AKP and Erdogan's government for um, for maybe two decades. When the alliance began to fall apart. Uh, around 2012 and now Gulenists um, are considered uh, a terrorist organization and Gulen himself is 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 considered the to be the um, orchestrator and the key perpetrator of the failed coup in 2016.
0: And there's this whole sorted backstory from the Trump administration with the former disgraced national security advisor Michael Flynn trying to like seek the extradition of Gulen from Pennsylvania to Turkey. This has been like long a target of everyone. Uh, absolutely,
1: absolutely. So so whenever there is Gulenist or, or in this case Gulen himself, which. You you rightly pointed out, Turkey demands their extradition, and with Finland, Turkey is demanding the extradition of some—I think about a dozen um, uh, people, including uh, some of the communists that they that they charge with terrorism. Uh, but the Finnish authorities argue that there is no legal basis for extradition, and that they cannot violate the rule of law to meet Turkey's demands. And and the same thing, obviously, uh, the, the, the exact same argument is made by the United States when Turkey wants Gülen to be extradited. Um, and also there are similar uh, extradition requests that Turkey makes from uh, from Sweden. And uh, Sweden gives the same response. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, some of these people include uh, sympathizers of PKK, but also Vilenis, uh and and specifically some journalists who used to write in Vilainis newspapers in Turkey, but now reside in Sweden.
0: To what extent uh, do you think that Erdogan's decision to kind of put the brakes on Sweden and Finland's uh, ascension into NATO stems from... Domestic politics that, you know, Turkey's economy is, is faltering and this is an opportunity to sort of whip up nationalist sentiment ahead of elections next year.
1: I think that's exactly right. Uh, last time I was on your show, we talked about the economic uh, problems that Turkey was uh, was observing and experiencing. Um, those economic problems haven't gotten any better. Uh, in fact, uh, I was just reading the news today about um, uh, predictions about this summer's uh, tourism uh, estimates and Uh, And especially tourists from Russia are expected to plummet this year, which has serious economic consequences for the the tourism industry. And so um, when when we talk about Turkish foreign policy, especially during Erdogan's uh, rule, uh, we cannot separate that from Turkey's domestic politics. Everything he does on the international arena has some implication it has some meaning for what he wants to achieve at the domestic level. Uh, he is preparing for elections in 2023. That's when they're scheduled, but there is always debates about whether he wants to call for early elections later this year. Um, and and this, he along with the ongoing plans to continue the, the the military operation in Syria, I think these will be two of his platforms when it comes to foreign affairs and to divert and distract the the, the public's um, increased frustration with the economic uh, crisis. Uh, so I think you're absolutely right that this is something that he wants to play uh, back back home uh, to his domestic audience. So.
0: I think this dust up with Sweden and Finland joining NATO is illustrative of the really kind of interesting and unique position that Turkey has played in regards to diplomacy with Russia since the invasion of ukraine i'd love before we discuss how turkey has responded to russia's invasion of ukraine could you maybe just kind of briefly situate turkish foreign policy in the i know years or months leading up to february 24th 2022.
1: Absolutely. Uh, So Turkey is standing at a fascinating juncture between the West, the Euro-Atlantic security framework and and Russia. And that is, like you anticipate, it's it's fundamentally shaping its positioning vis-a-vis the Ukraine war. So first of all, we should... uh, put the, the, we should start to situate Turkey, right? So Turkey is a member of the NATO alliance since 1952. Uh, one of the first, uh, it was part of that first wave of expansion after the alliance was established. And it's the second largest contributor to NATO with nearly 500,000 troops. So it's the, um, so we are talking about a really Um, noticeable, hefty ally in that organization. It's also led military operations in Kosovo and Afghanistan and various other multilateral military um, operations as part of of the NATO alliance. And after the withdrawal of the U.S. from Afghanistan last summer, uh, summer of 2021, um, Turkey had also proposed to operate Kabul airport. Uh, So Turkey, in that sense, has always been a deep and important, um, uh, deeply entrenched member of the of the NATO alliance. Uh, relatedly, Turkey and the United States used to be, I should say, very close allies. They used to call each other strategic partners throughout the Cold War and into the early 2000s. Um, But then those relationships began to deteriorate sometime after 2013 with the Gizzi protests, uh, most noticeably. And And
0: these were protests in Istanbul, if I'm remembering correctly, that were sort of against Erdogan, kind of anti-inequality protests, am I misremembering?
1: Right. So they began over uh, claims over Gizzi Park to um, to graze Gizzi Park and and build um, uh, some commercial uh, structures. And so the, the protests began to protect the park itself. But then they mushroomed and, and took the entire country. They were there were protests essentially in every single city. Um, across across Turkey, um, uh, and, and the key demands were greater democratic participation, uh, greater uh rights and liberties, and, and this and an end to this sort of tyrannical rule over um over people's lives and, and the government, the central government basically micromanaging what's happening in a park in Istanbul. And so uh so back then around 2013 onwards um Turkey's democratic decay had become so much more apparent. Um, there were disagreements between the U.S. and Turkey about the war in Syria and how to engage um, and, and, and deal with ISIS. Um, obviously, there was this falling apart of a major defense deal between Turkey and the U.S. Turkey wanted to purchase the Patriots air defense system. Um, that uh, agreement didn't go through. And then that's that was what prompted Turkey to purchase the Russian um, equivalent of it, the S four hundreds.
0: Yeah, this was in twenty eighteen. Exactly. Yeah, this and was then, a very big deal at the time when Turkey, a member of NATO, bought the non-compatible with NATO version of a missile defense system from Russia.
1: Right. I mean, it was it was um, it was non-compatible and it's straight up dangerous, right? It it has the potential to reveal um, uh, confidential uh, interop confidential. Uh, um, um, uh, mechanic details about about nato capabilities and so um turkey's purchasing and finally bringing in the the s400s but that not, not activating the um the hardware prompted uh the katsa sanctions from u.s congress that's countering um america's adversaries through sanctions act um, and then um, moving into the 2000s uh, 2020 and 2021 when When President Biden was elected, um, it's well known that these two leaders aren't exactly fond of each other. And so uh, if you the listeners might be following, Biden is preparing to uh, take a visit to um, to Israel uh, later this summer, um, probably in July. And um, it's a two-hour flight from Tel Aviv to Ankara, and and Biden uh, and the U.S. administration more broadly uh, is has been avoiding uh, visiting Turkey in that kind of capacity yeah. uh, since and, and, he became president.
0: And you know, to Erdogan's defense, Biden did himself little favor uh, by forthrightly declaring the genocide in Armenia, which was like this, you know, obviously a big domestic issue uh, right. for, or pardon me, the Armenian genocide, uh, which is a, a big domestic issue for uh, Erdogan.
1: Absolutely. Um, That's yeah. always been the litmus test between, uh, to understand where Turkey-US relations lie, because presidents have always acted as a sort of an emergency break when Congress wanted to pass that. And, and this time around, it wasn't uh, opposed, and then it passed. But then there's the the Russian side of it, Um, and and Turkey also has these um, relations with Russia that that helps us place Turkey back in this sort of chessboard over over the Ukraine war. Um, Turkey is a major trade partner to Russia. Um, Turkey purchases natural gas from Russia and exports agricultural products. Um, and in 2021, we're talking about 30 billion US dollars. So it's, it's, it's a pretty large trade volume we're talking about. Like I said before, Turkey also attracts millions of Russian tourists each year. In fact, prior to the pandemic in 2019, um, the total number of Russian tourists that visited Turkey was 7 million. Uh, And then right after the pandemic in 2021, um, the number was 4.7 million. So basically half of that. And then right now, forecasters are expecting about 2 million. And they're saying that that's even a very optimistic estimate. So We're seeing Russian tourists for all sorts of reasons, but particularly um, obviously uh, um, for security and political reasons uh, are not choosing to come to Turkey, which has severe implications for uh, for the economy Uh, and so. Um, so that's the economic side and with the with the more security side obviously turkey's purchasing of the s400s and the uh um, the the coordinated behaviors of russia and and turkey in syria also bring them uh make them strange bedfellows if you want to call it that way uh and and that's the um that's the difficult position that's the complex situation that turkey found themselves in uh, when when
0: the war broke in February. Yeah, so February 24th, Russia invades Ukraine, and at least it seemed initially. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Turkey seems to have played a meaningful role in. Ukraine's defense by, among other things, providing Ukraine with very impactful drones Mm -hmm. that were used against Russian military uh, elements on the ground. Can you just sort of describe how Turkey has approached the Russian invasion of Ukraine since February 24th, because it seems like just a very sort of fascinating and unique position that Turkey finds itself in now supporting Ukraine's defense while also keeping a very open line to Russian diplomats and and Russian uh, entreaties as well.
1: Turkey has been walking a tightrope since the beginning of the war. Uh, So many analysts, including myself, have described this position as a balancing act, uh, given uh, Turkey's relations both with NATO and with Russia. Um, Still, you're absolutely right. Turkey has defined the conflict in Ukraine as war uh, pretty early on. Uh, which means that it was able to enact the Montreux Treaty of the Straits. Uh, and uh, by declaring. What's the, the
0: Montreux Treaty of the Straits?
1: Sure. So, so the um, this was one of the foundational treaties of the Republic of Turkey. And it gave essentially Turkey the right to control the Straits. And one of these. Um, one and of the, the Straits of-
0: leading from the Mediterranean to the Black Sea.
1: Right, exactly. So, um, so the the two straits, the Bosphorus connects Black Sea uh, to uh, to Marmara Sea, um, and then the the Dardanelles connect the Marmara Sea to the Mediterranean. And so that's um, Russia's easiest way of crossing uh, the Black Sea and and um, connect to the Mediterranean. And so the Montreux Treaty. Uh, states that if there is a war, the, the, the Turkey has a right to close the straits to outbound battleships. And so in this case, Turkey was able to, and which it did, close the straits uh, to outbound Russian battleships. Um, that was another way in which Turkey was able to curtail um, Russian activity. Uh, it also provided uh, the Bayraktar tv 2 drones that you've mentioned uh, to Ukraine early on in the conflict these are um these are cheap and they proved to be extremely effective uh helping Ukraine achieve some of those early gains both tactically and psychologically boosting the morale of the international community and the ukrainians obviously uh for a more positive outcome but obviously these are uh, sort of th- these um activities and these kinds of su- gestures of support um are now being Um, undone, you might say, uh, by Turkey's um, position in NATO and Turkey's uh, resistance uh, against NATO expansion. On the other hand, Turkey did not close its airspace to Russian aircrafts, uh, unlike um, many European uh, allies and partners, nor did it impose any economic sanctions uh, for obvious reasons that I just talked about. Russia is a major trade partner. Uh, Turkey uh, therefore, has been playing this balancing act, supporting Ukraine where it can, but also uh, making sure that it doesn't antagonize Russia any further uh, through not engaging in the sanctions regime um, or or closing airspace.
0: To what extent does Erdogan and the Turkish foreign policy elite consider themselves potentially like interlocutors between Russia and the West? I mean, it seemed. Early on, uh, that they were trying to use, like you know, Turkish good offices, if that uh, is is an expression that could be used, to facilitate some sort of cessation of hostilities. That obviously never happened. Uh, but now it seems that Turkey is playing an actual meaningful role in this UN-led effort to try to get some of the grain and food mm. that's stuck in Ukrainian ports out to the rest of the world. What do you know about those efforts and Turkish diplomacy more broadly during this period?
1: Right. So Turkey has tried to play the mediator role in these regional conflicts for a long time during the AKP rule. Uh, so this is not the first time that Turkey is stepping up to the plate and saying, let us mediate. Uh, uh, the country tried to do that uh, between Israel and Palestine back in early 2000s uh, that was not fruitful. Uh, same with uh, the conflict uh, between Armenia and Azerbaijan, uh, and now more recently uh, between the uh, between Ukraine and and Russia. And you're absolutely right. Uh, the there there were some early efforts to uh, bring the parties to the table to uh, to call a ceasefire uh, and possibly resolve the conflict, but that kind of died down. And right now there are ongoing talks to. Um, Uh, to facilitate the shipment of Ukraine's agricultural exports, grain specifically because we're expecting a major global food crisis later this year and well into the, well into the next year. And, and Turkey uh, suggests offers to be basically a corridor, right? Uh, So the Odessa port is right now uh, closed. Uh, The, um, the proposal Suggests that the Odessa port will open, and then and then the 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 shipments will pass through Turkey to get to some of these developing countries that that normally get Ukraine's grains. But here, both Kiev and Moscow have their own demands, which also pushes Turkey into a difficult policy corner. So, essentially, Turkey constantly finds itself in these difficult policy corners. One of the things that I, that I think is interesting is that Ukraine, for a, for a while, wasn't uh, uh, formally invited to the talks. So, the um, the negotiations about how to draft the plan and how to operationalize it were taking place between Turkey and Russia. So the proposed deal includes a couple of demands from each of the actors, and that's why it's very difficult for them to resolve this. Uh, Russia, um, in in return for opening and allowing the port of Odessa to to, to operate, uh, wants the sanctions on its own farm exports to be lifted uh, and also wants the port of Odessa to be demined. Um, And finally, it wants to have the ability to inspect the ships that go to Ukraine. Um, That's obviously uh, a a major no-no for Ukraine. Ukraine rejects these conditions and wants to ensure that opening the Black Sea port, the port of Odessa, does not allow Russia to either inspect its own ships that are going into into Ukraine, uh, but also... Uh, prevents Russia from exerting greater control in the region at the expense of its own security. Um, Like you said, the UN supports this proposal, and Turkey expects that it will endorse the plan. And if it does, that should give Ukraine much greater confidence in the deal's intentions and credibility. Um, But of course, it's difficult for anyone, and, and most importantly, Ukraine and the Ukrainians, to isolate Turkey's efforts there from it's very frustrating resistance to NATO engagement, uh, and, sorry, NATO enlargement. And so it's very difficult to isolate Turkey's different activities in these different dimensions and different um, stages uh, and um, and not uh, consider them in relation to one another.
0: Uh, so lastly, on this question of NATO, you know we are speaking um, about, seven days ahead of a major NATO meeting in Madrid. It was expected, you know, months ago when Sweden and Finland first made their intentions known about their desire to to join NATO, uh, that this would be like a swift process. And, you know, as we discussed, Erdogan for domestic political reasons is putting the brakes on this process. Is there anything you suspect that the international community might offer to Turkey to nudge it away from its position of intransigence right now?
1: Right. The Some of the recent developments happening at NATO and the Secretary General's office show that they are really trying hard to make Turkey happy. So about two weeks ago, Uh, Jan Stoltenberg, the Secretary General uh, of NATO, expressed that Turkey's concerns about terrorism were legitimate and that they must be addressed. Importantly, if you watch his press briefing, he corrects himself twice, like mid-sentence, calling the country Turkey instead of Turkey. And if you go to NATO's official website now, um, Turkey is now listed as Turkey on the list of members. What's um, the significance of that? So these are hat tips to the Turkish government's current PR efforts to change the country's official name from Turkey to what it's known in in Turkey itself. In Turkish, it's called Turkey. So that it's not synonymous with poultry in the English language. And so uh you could tell that Stoltenberg was trying really hard to, you know, he says Turkey and then he corrects himself and goes Turkey.
0: If that right. is a concession, you know, I say go for
1: it. Right, um, exactly. But then, you know, these these are some of the Um, the very little sort of low-hanging fruits for NATO to pick. Um, But then some allies are getting frustrated. Uh, So Emmanuel Macron, French president, uh, is asking NATO to sort of find out about uh, turkey's real intentions and clarifying turkey's positions uh so clearly there is some expectation to bring this to uh, a happy ending at the at the, Nash, at, at the nato summit uh, a happy conclusion at the nato summit in in madrid and then um uh when you turn to germany uh german foreign minister uh says that you know, obviously, everybody anticipated, everybody wanted Finland and Sweden to join the NATO, join NATO in in the Madrid summit later this month, uh, actually as soon as next week, uh, but then. And Baerbach, a German Foreign Minister, said that it wouldn't be a catastrophe if this doesn't conclude in uh, in the Madrid summit. And then, when you turn to Turkey, Turkish um, officials exp- say very confidently, because they have all the leverage in the world, saying that you know we don't consider the the Madrid conference as a de- Madrid summit as a deadline. For these negotiations and we're going to take for as long as we need to, to make sure that we, everybody's on the same page and Turkey is given some guarantees now what those guarantees will look like again, um, we can only speculate and we can only speculate what Turkey will consider to be a win Um, and 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 where would compromises take
0: place? So what are you looking towards in the coming weeks that make suggest to you whether or not Erdogan relents on, on his opposition to NATO membership for Sweden and Finland?
1: So Erdogan wants concessions, right? Guarantees that he can then take home and say the Turks won. Uh, uh, he always wants to... Uh, asserts Turkey uh, on the international stage, and so whatever he can take, um, he will he will sell this to their sort of possible maximum at home. Uh, it could be, like I said, a combination of written guarantees, uh, condemnation of terrorism, uh, or you know, tangible outcomes such as the lifting of arms embargoes. We know that, for instance, Sweden is revising its counterterrorism legislation and uh, finding out ways to um, redesign regulations on export bans so that Turkey can be um, off the hook. Uh, and some of the, a, a lot of people are, are arguing or expecting or um, hypothesizing, I guess, that, um, that Turkey might also be trying to get some concessions from the US, such as being put back on the Um, F-35 list, uh, which Turkey was kicked off after it purchased the S-400s. And so Erdogan and, and, and the Turkish delegation in NATO know that they have a lot of leverage, like I said, and they are not afraid to go to the edge of the cliff, so to speak, to get whatever they can. If, if, you know, your listeners might remember, he's done it before in the EU um, back in early 2000s uh, to get the, the membership um, negotiations to start when he had a lot less leverage. So he knows that he can do this again. Um, and we'll see what plays out next week in Madrid and the next couple of weeks after that will be even more interesting.
0: Uh, well, Sabelle, thank you so much. This was so helpful. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Sibel Oktay. That was very helpful and timely. Uh, We recorded this conversation, as I mentioned, just a few days ahead of that major NATO meeting in Madrid, though, even if you have listened to this episode in the weeks since, I think it nonetheless gives you really important context for understanding Turkish foreign policy. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.